This is Scientific American Science Talk, posted on October 7th, 2019. I'm Steve Mursky. The Nobel Assembly at Karolinska Institute has today decided to award the 2019 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine jointly to William Kalin, Sir Peter Ratcliffe, and Greg Semenza for their discoveries of how cells sense and adapt to oxygen availability. Thomas Perlman, secretary of the Nobel Assembly, shortly after 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Greg Semenza was born in 1956 in New York. He performed his prize-winning studies at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, where he's still active. Sir Peter Ratcliffe, was born in 1954 in Lancashire in the UK. He performed his prize-winning studies at Oxford University, and he's continuing to do his research at Oxford University, and he's also at the Francis Crick Institute in London. And William Kalin, born in 1957 in New York, He performed his prize-winning studies at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, where he's still active in his own lab. Uh, I will now turn to Professor Randall Johnson, a member of the Nobel Assembly, who will describe some detail and background behind the work. So please, Randall. This year's Nobel Prize is awarded for determining how oxygen levels are sensed by cells. Oxygen is essential for life, and is used by virtually all animal cells in order to convert food to usable energy. However, the amount of oxygen available to cells, tissues, and animals themselves can vary greatly. This prize is for three physician scientists who found the molecular switch that regulates how our cells adapt when oxygen levels drop. The most fundamental use of oxygen by the cell is to convert food to usable energy. Just as a candle needs the right amount of oxygen to burn cleanly, cells need to adjust their metabolic rates based on how much oxygen they have available to them. This allows each cell, and indeed our bodies, to efficiently and safely burn fuel so as to create heat, do work, and build new tissues. Cells and tissues are constantly experiencing changes in oxygen availability. As an embryo grows and develops, As muscles work, the oxygen available changes as the tissues themselves change. Cells need a way to adjust to the amount of oxygen they have while still doing their important jobs. Sometimes, oxygen levels change across the entire body, such as when we go to high altitudes, and sometimes they change in very small parts of our bodies, such as when we get a wound that interrupts the local blood supply. This triggers an adaptive process called the hypoxic response, which in turn can induce processes in the body as diverse as new blood vessel formation or angiogenesis, new red blood cell formation or erythropoiesis, and metabolic adaptations of cells, including glycolysis. Before things get too complicated, I want to jump to an interview Randall Johnson did after the Nobel announcements. Johnson's own research is on the effects of low oxygen, so he really knows this stuff. He spoke to an unidentified interviewer, but based on the programs in past years, I believe she was Swedish journalist Joanna Rose. 
This year you're awarding a discovery of how cells sense and adapt to oxygen availability. What does this mean? Well, it's basically a prize that says when you're a cell, if you're an animal cell, you have to always have some level of oxygen. Almost all cells use it to, to do their me metabolic processes. And basically, it is just like a candle burning or any other kind of furnace or engine. You are burning things in order to make heat, in order to make energy, and that's really what we do. And of course, we need oxygen in order to do those things. The problem is, cells inside a three-dimensional structure like the body are always getting different amounts of oxygen and it can depend on different levels of blood flow, it can depend on the fact that the, the tissue itself might be using a lot of oxygen at any given time. My brain is probably using a fair amount right now, my heart, because it's probably beating a bit fast. And so that's maybe got sort of, it's, it's using more oxygen than if I'm lying down and sleeping. And so the, because the cell has a very tightly regulated little furnace in it, it has to adjust to these different levels of oxygen in a very fine-tuned way. And if it does this badly, it can even be fatal for the cell. So this is really, the, the prize is for this sort of, almost like a, a, a rheostat or a thermostat for the oxygen levels, or a, a damper that you'd have on your furnace to let in more or less oxygen at any given time. So that it's just right, so the, the flame burns just right. And if we take a small step outside the cell, uh, how does this discovery affect people's lives? Well, it affects people's lives because it really will help us and, and is already helping people develop new medicines. So basically finding different ways to influence this fundamental process has already shown itself to be potentially very useful in, in, in very clear uh, medical applications. For example, if you want to increase the levels of your red blood cells, this factor comes into play. And that, of course, makes sense because if you're at high altitude, you want more red blood cells to help you carry oxygen. If you have a, 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 an accident and you lose a bunch of blood, now there's not enough red blood cells to carry the oxygen. So you want a signal that tells your body, make more red blood cells. And this is a fundamental part of that signal. It's the cellular aspect of it. So a drug that can, that can raise the levels of this can trigger new red blood cell production. And in fact, such a drug has already been approved in China and is under consideration in the Western countries as well, including the EU and Sweden. Uh, so, if we turn to the laureates, um, William Kalin, Sir Peter Ratcliffe and Greg L. Semenza, um, what have the, they done? What, what, what have they, they done? In this discovery? Uh, in this parts? discovery, well, uh, I know them all. They're all very fine fellows, um, and they all did very essential parts of this process. Uh, Semenza, Greg's initial and, and very important contribution was first to sort of help define the region of a, a gene that is basically allowing this, this to happen, and then it was found that this region was found in lots and lots of other genes. Uh, Peter Ratcliffe also participated in that process of de defining that. Then uh, Greg actually was the one who cloned and, and isolated this factor called HIF, and he was the one who named it. And so that has really been the foundation for this discovery in many ways. Um, Peter Ratcliffe came in and made an association between this uh, tumor suppressor gene called von Hippel-Lindau, or VHL, and the regulation of this HIF gene. And that's really an important part of how HIF senses oxygen. 
And Bill Kalin came in and also made that association, and he and Radcliffe helped to define the switch, the oxygen-dependent switch, really the, the knob on the, the dial, really, that ultimately helps you understand how all of this works. So all three were necessary components, really, or, or, or actors in figuring out how this whole thing works. Um, and and, and uh, although they haven't collaborated with each other, they've all been closely associated with the field uh, through the course of all of this. And um, why, how come the prize is uh, awarded now? I mean, some of those findings were in the mid-90s. What, what has happened to make it such, such an actual thing? I, I, I can't speak to you know, real specifics because, of course, some of that is confidential in terms of dis the, the deliberations of the assembly. But uh, it's very clear that we now understand this fundamental biological switch that really impacts all our lives as living creatures here on Earth breathing oxygen. It's, it's really one of the most important things our cells know how to do. In fact, if uh, an embryo doesn't have this HIF gene, it won't survive past very early embryogenesis. So even in the womb, our bodies need this gene in order to do everything they do. So, so, so I guess you could say an answer to your, a direct answer to your question is, it's now, a, it seems like a, a complete and clear story. And finally, uh, if you have 30 seconds to explain the main impact of this discovery in an exciting way, mm -hmm. what would you say? I'd say this is uh, what scientists often toss around this phrase, um, textbook discovery. I'd say this is really an essentially a textbook discovery. This is something that basic biology students will be learning about when they study at age 12 or 13 or, or younger biology and learn the fundamental ways in which cells work. This is, a, this is a basic aspect of how a cell works. And I think from that standpoint alone, it's, it's a very exciting thing. Okay, now back to Johnson during the earlier announcement for some nuts and bolts about oxygen sensing in cells. One of the first physiological changes caused by low oxygen noted by scientists was the erythropoietic response. This occurs when the body is at high altitude or when it experiences anemia, such as an insufficient number of red blood cells. This hypoxia, or low oxygen state, induces expression of a hormone by the kidney, the erythropoietin hormone, also known as EPO. It became clear to researchers in the field that EPO gene expression goes up when oxygen levels go down. This allowed scientists to use the EPO gene as a tool to analyze the role of oxygen in the control of gene expression. Now we turn to the work that gave rise to this year's Nobel Prize. The earliest work by one of this year's laureates, Greg Semenza, showed that this increase in EPO was due to a specific region of the EPO gene that he defined and called the hypoxia response element, or HRE. Semenza used this oxygen-regulated segment of the gene to isolate a transcription factor protein complex. He called this protein complex HIF for hypoxia-inducible transcription factor. HIF itself is formed of two proteins, one called ARNT, or ARNT, that is always present, and one he called HIF1-alpha. The HIF1-alpha protein is oxygen-sensitive, which is to say that it is present when oxygen is low and disappears when oxygen levels are high. 
Semenza and others showed that HIF was present in almost all cells, and at this point, HIF was potentially a key regulator of oxygen responsiveness. Further work by a number of groups showed that HIF was constantly made by cells, but in high oxygen conditions, which we call normoxia, it was constantly destroyed by proteosomal degradation. At the time of the cloning of HIF by Semenza in 1995, William Kalin was studying a gene involved in cancer called the von Hippel-Lindau gene, or VHL. His group, in collaboration with others, showed that cells lacking VHL had increased expression of hypoxia-inducible genes. Subsequently, Sir Peter Ratcliffe's group showed that VHL was necessary for HIF to be destroyed by the proteasome. This indicated that a key role for the VHL gene was to direct HIF to be destroyed under high oxygen conditions. However, we still didn't know how oxygen regulated this switch. Ratcliffe and Kalin then simultaneously showed the way by demonstrating that an oxygen-dependent reaction seals HIF's fate in high oxygen conditions. When enough oxygen is around, two prolines in the HIF-1-alpha protein are hydroxylated. Hydroxylated HIF is then recognized by the VHL complex, which then targets HIF for destruction. To sum up, then, this elegant switch, which was elucidated by the work of this year's laureates, under low oxygen conditions, HIF is made, it accumulates in the nucleus, and that results in the induction of a wide variety of oxygen-sensitive genes. But when oxygen is present, HIF is hydroxylated, recognized by VHL, and destroyed. There are at least 300 genes with hypoxia response elements, or HREs, in the human genome. These are all regulated by HIF to help cells, tissues, and the entire body cope with changes in oxygen levels. Some of these genes include those encoding the vascular endothelial growth factor, or VEGF, that regulates angiogenesis, erythropoietin, and almost all of the enzymes involved in glycolysis, or anaerobic fermentation. The effects of HIF range across almost every aspect of physiology, from met metabolism to exercise, to embryogenesis, to immunity, and the changes wrought by altitude. Diseases where HIF response plays a critical role include anemia, cancer, stroke, infection, and heart attack. Applications of these findings are already beginning to make their way to the clinic, with potential drugs to increase HIF used to treat anemia and to suppress HIF used to treat some forms of cancer. These fundamental findings have greatly increased our understanding of how the body adapts to change, and applications of these findings are already beginning to affect the way medicine is practiced. This year's three laureates have greatly expanded our knowledge of how physiological response makes life possible. Thank you very much, Randall. Uh, so we'll turn to uh, questions, and uh, we have uh, the chair of the Nobel Committee, Patrick, Professor Patrick Arnfors, 
we have a member of the Nobel Committee, uh, Anna Bedell, and we have Randall, member of the Nobel Assembly, uh, an expert in this field as well. So uh, we'll open up for questions, so please go ahead. Here we have one up there. Why is it important that this EPO. Yeah, the EPO and those proteins. Why is it important what they do when it comes to cancer? Yeah, no, I, I think if I'll ask Anna Vedel to answer that question. I should start by saying that the protein you mentioned, EPO, was just sort of the, the initial protein that was studied as a tool to find this whole system. And there are hundreds of genes that are regulated by, by the system. And in cancer, there are many links because cancer, to, cancer cells and tumors can exploit this system to optimize the condition so they can grow rapidly. One could mention that one thing, a tumor in the body, for example, uh, lacks often blood supply. And uh, if it activates this response, it helps the tumor to attract blood vessels uh, to supply more oxygen and nutrition and so forth. But uh, so it's, it's several aspects of cancer cells that... Yes. So, so, so oxygen is used differently when you grow rapidly, for instance. Your metabolism will be different. So they will use the system to, to direct metabolism to be able to grow and also make blood vessels. Please go ahead. This is David Keaton from the Associated Press. Um, so for people that are not well-versed in, uh, in the science that will be hearing this, what will be the most... Uh, easy to grasp um, benefit of this discovery to them, to, mm. to the person listening to the news uh, this morning. Right. I'll, I'll think if, if Patrick Ehrenforsch uh, could respond to that. Well, I mean, it's a system uh, which uh, is required for our body to function normally. So uh, oxygen levels vary in different parts of the body and tissues and organs. Mm. And in particular, for example, during exercise. The muscle uh, during uh, exercise become anaerobic. So this system both uh, is dual. It both uh, makes the cells cope during low oxygen levels, but it's also a system that uh, generates an opportunity for the cell to regain normal oxygen levels. So it's an ad adaptation of the cell's metabolism to cope with low oxygen, but also a system that increases blood vessel growth into the tissue and also increases uh, uh, red blood cells that, can transport now, that now can transport more uh, oxygen and more efficiently uh, transport oxygen. So it's both of these systems. And of course, this is such a basal physiological mechanism that, that allows us to, to also to, to uh, colonize the earth uh, in different parts alt at different altitudes because oxygen levels vary at different altitudes. So obviously, this system is involved there as well. And when you have this kind of basic, fundamental processes in your body, of course, those are also really important in diseases, as we heard uh, Randall mention, such as, for example, uh, anemia, or cancer, or heart attack, or stroke, or other disorders where you have a reduction in blood supply and oxygen and nutrient supply. So really short, one could say that uh, this is one of the critical systems or adaptive systems for animal life. 
overall. So it's an incredibly central, important adaptive system for, for animals. Something else, here we have one in the middle. Um, this is Nordic Chinese Times. Um, so I'm wondering what is the breakthrough of this finding in treating the cancer? And I'm also wondering the possibility of applying this knowledge to develop any like early cancer diagnosis or the potential treatment. Thanks. So let me ask Randall Johnson to respond to that question. There are fairly immediate applications that are in development at the moment. It's such as, as Patrick pointed out and as Anna noted, this is such a fundamental aspect of how our cells deal with getting oxygen and, and then adapting to its use that one could almost imagine the, the applications will be, uh, I don't want to say endless, but very, very wide. The, the very first applications that appear to be coming close to clinical use, in fact, uh, one was just approved in China, uh, is the use of increased HIF expression to uh, treat anemia. And the idea there is that as HIF goes up, not only does that increase the level of erythropoietin production, which of course stimulates red blood cells, but HIF also controls iron metabolism. And so we'll really coordinate how the body takes up iron and then how it incorporates that into the growing red blood cells. So uh, these are, of course, important applications, both from the standpoint of people with anemia, and oftentimes people with anemia have many you know, other problems, including kidney disease or even cancer, and so it may be an, an, an application that's useful there. The other thing you alluded to was the treatment of cancer itself. And interestingly, as, as uh, Thomas pointed out, and, 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 and as my colleagues pointed out, uh, tumors have increased HIF expression, likely to help them in, uh, cope with low levels of oxygen in their interiors. And so there are drugs in development to actually inhibit HIF to, to, to allow tumors to be shrunk, since tumors use HIF to expand. Now, that may be difficult to conceptualize that something could be both uh, bad and good. But uh, of course, that's what uh, a basic discovery is. It shows every aspect of, or it, it impacts every aspect of the body. And, and certainly future work in this field will, will likely have wide ranging impacts. We plan to be back tomorrow with coverage of the Nobel Prize in Physics.